Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing everybody a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever or wherever you are tuning into today's podcast from. Now, on the gov.uk government website, uh, there was a story published on the 1st of March 2019. A new app to keep people safe in crowded places will be used at a major London location after an award of almost £250,000 from the Home Office. The app, called Crowd, is the first project to be launched publicly under a scheme set up in response to the terror attacks in 2017. The app, created by Devon-based developers CrowdThink, allows people in crowded places to speak directly with on-site security teams, allowing visitors to report suspicious activity or potential threats in real time using their phones. This is the first example of an improving crowd resilience ICR funded project reaching market. I'm delighted to say that on today's podcast, we welcome Jeff Revel, who's the MD and co-founder of CrowdThink to talk a little bit more about this, um, what looks to be a very, very exciting development. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as I said, uh, £250,000 from the Home Office to presumably go directly towards the cost of, of developing and, and, and bringing this app to marketplace. Give us a little bit of the history about, um, about the app itself and how you came to the point where you were receiving that sort of level of funding from the government. Um, so the app is, a, is a, your classic event technology uh, and an event app. Um, but when we were looking to launch it formally at the beginning of 2017, uh, we were really looking at the sector and, and uh, asking ourselves some questions about, you know, where the real issues lay. And, um, uh, and then what happened was, of course, was that they, we had the uh, uh, unfortunate terror attacks of 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw this, uh, this announcement of a competitive uh, uh, award. And uh, we thought, well, that is really something significantly different and really important to the larger venues and to the larger events. And, uh, you know, if we can find ways to, to get sponsored to bring that kind of value to market, then it would be hugely beneficial to our, uh, our customers. Um, if we'd known that there were 67 companies bidding for that money, um, <laughs> we possibly might not have attempted it. Uh, but um, I think, you know, the, the key of what we presented was, uh, and, and the nature of, of our proposal was to make the crowd a participatory threat sensor and responder. And essentially what we're basically saying is, you know what, everybody has eyes and ears. Everybody is uh, concerned about their own safety. What we don't really have in place is a really simple mechanism to enable those people's concerns to be raised with the people who can deal with them. And if we can close that loop in real time, in the context of an event, we may just prevent something really uh, you know, horrible happening again. Sure. And that would be fantastic. Really um, fantastic. Uh, operationally, and, and when, when this is deployed, um, I, I'm sort of going to play devil's advocate, I'm sure, on several occasions throughout today's podcast. But sure. um, if somebody is in a crowded place and they spot what they think is potentially terrorist activity in worst case scenario should we be really encouraging them to, to start fishing for their mobile phones or should we really be saying to them get out the area and be safe first of all so i mean obviously if you see somebody with a gun or a bomb you know then the the uh the counter-terror advice is run hide tell mm -hmm. right um so the third part of that is where we would come into uh into operation but actually if you really see somebody with a gun you don't use our app make you very clear we're not a 999 replacement 
Um, we're about dealing with the, uh, the issues that could be prelude to that kind of activity. So it's the suspicious bag, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. just because you see an unattended bag doesn't mean you're going to run from the venue, right? But you might want to make sure somebody deals with it. And if you can take a picture of it, send it in, the location of exactly where that bag is, the picture of it goes straight to the security guard. They know exactly how to respond to it. That bag could be attended to far, far faster. Um, so this is all about engaging with the local security team and giving them the tools to keep you safe and using sure. your eyes and ears to participate in that process, put simply. Now, of course, like any messaging platform, which is essentially what the crowd app is, and it's crowd with a K, just to be clear, um, is that it's a two-way communication. And so, you know, there's no reason why now that we have security as part of the event experience, that they can't be nudging and guiding and assisting the crowd to, to be aware of certain issues. So if, for example, they have a couple of instances of pickpocketing going on, mm -hmm. then an appropriate message to be sent out from, you know, somebody who's denoted in the crowd app as of an appropriate authority to nudge people and say, look, keep your bags closed and close. You know, we've seen, you know, we've had a, an instance of pickpocketing. It's just what we're effectively doing is creating an environment that's much more hostile to both the mischievous and the malicious. Sure. And it's about prevention and not, uh, you know, engaging with the, you know, the kind of issues that 999 has to deal with, right? It's mm -hmm. about getting a flow of information to the security team that, that keeps them up to date with what's happening. And by doing that, you know, giving them the very best chance of keeping you safe. Um, this uh, people are on their phones all the time. You know, I, I think I think what what we've got here is a, is, is a very good example where we're tapping into people's um, natural habits now. Anyway, you know, people are very used to taking the phones out of their pockets, taking pictures, typing messages to their friends. So we're utilising. Um, habits of, of consumers and, and of people in, in these public spaces that are there already, um, which, which is, makes it easy on the one hand. However, a lot of events will have their own dedicated apps um, that they will be wanting their customers and their audiences to be going on to and interacting with um, and seeing content uh, that's related directly to the actual event itself. Is this going to replace an event app? Is it going to stand alongside it? Or are you going to be able to integrate the services that you guys have developed within your own app into the dedicated event apps for the, the clients that you're working with? So we are an event app. Um, is, is the short answer to that. Uh, we are an event app with a distinctly differential uh, value proposition with this additional what we call crowd safe capability. Mm -hmm. um, and as a consequence, you know, we are offering this up to organizations and venues. Um, now, in fact, the way that we've architected is different to pretty much every other app in the event app sector. So, in fact, you know, there's the event app Bible came out today, probably one of your competitors, but essentially what they were talking about was container apps and native apps as if these were one off instances of apps. Not, nobody's really thought about is, you know, you know what, why can't I just have one app I can take to any event and it'll just work. Why are we always taking the event organizers perspective? What's wrong with the delegates perspective? Right. And one of the reasons, one of the things we know is the delegates tend to resist downloading yet another app. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yep. not something they want to do. Um, now, if you can create one app that works in any venue as well as any event and connects you to the people around you and gives you a messaging platform in the context of that place or event, then you could become one app that could be used anywhere. So 
our approach to market is much broader than just the event sector. We're looking at the venue marketplace. We're looking at college campuses. We're looking at transport hubs. Uh, we're looking at stadia, of course, uh, hotels, hotels with event capabilities and facilities. So we're coming at the market from a significantly different perspective. And we're looking at it from the venue point of view and the mm. safety of context and the social environment of digital in those contexts of which events are just one aspect. So for us, the event sector is just part of the sectorial approach to the markets that we have mm -hmm. uh, encapsulated within, frankly, the venues and the security sectors. And you look at uh, the really large events like Olympics and Commonwealth Games, you know, these things transcend locations. They are multi-day things. Uh, you know, you need to have capability to expand almost citywide. And that's, you know, where we're aiming for by 2022. Sure. So it's a uh, different perspective. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at some of the operational uh, features uh, and what people can actually do with this. And um, one thing that uh, it explains very clearly on, on the gov.uk website um, and this story that I mentioned at the very start of today's episode um, is that there's a venue mapping feature which uh, allows security staff to locate any perceived threat and, and, and rapidly direct staff to that particular situation. Is that Correct. working off the standard uh, GPS that's within somebody's um, uh, mobile device or or are you also, or have you also got the ability to deploy these sort of more um, specific mapping uh, technologies that are now available for, for these sort of closely confined areas? Uh, so both is the answer to that. Clearly, outdoor events don't really need any assistance. The uh, the in-app or, or the iOS and Android services are quite sufficient for for most location capabilities. Um, but of course, as soon as you go inside a venue, particularly, a, you know, a highly dense environment, uh, perhaps mm. in a basement or something like that, you know, none of that stuff works. Um, and the big cost to people in these events, when it comes down to location, tends to be this idea that, oh, that's okay, we could fix that, just, you know, pay for a few thousand pounds worth of hardware, deploy it all over the place and pay you another few thousand pounds to get it deployed and then taken away. And you can have all that asset value. So we worked, looked at it differently. And uh, one of the things that we've done is that we've innovated to be able to uh, leverage the existing Wi-Fi infrastructure and triangulate around that without actually needing any additional hardware deployed at all. Right. So the, what we do, and it's all about, in technical terms, error uh, propagation, or should I say reduction of error propagation, and we go in and digitally map the venue, we figure out where the Wi-Fi hotspots are, we can figure out the triangulation around that, and essentially, we end up with an accuracy that's about two and a half times better on average than Android will give you um, inside a venue. Right. Um, so that ag aggregates down to a roughly 10 meter uh, okay. accuracy, which is reasonable. Certainly, um, yes. Because if, if you're responding to a threat, you, you know, within a large venue, let, let's take, for example, a big indoor arena, if you can get within 10 metres of it, at that point, you're going to pretty much be able to narrow down exactly whereabouts within that 10 metre area it's going to be. Yeah, the eyes on will be able to figure out the rest that you need to know. That said, we've already tested this technology with the next generation of Wi-Fi, which is, includes 802.11mc, which is in Android 8, um, and certain key routers have now implemented as well. It's called round trip time. And we've already uh, validated that uh, when that firmware is deployed universally, and, it's, and it will just be a free update in your phones and the routers, it'll come for a standard over the next couple of years. We get that accuracy down to about uh, one to two meters. 
Right. Okay. And that's and, and, and I suppose to put it into to layman's terms for, for, for anybody sort of who's slightly less technical out there, we we're talking about utilizing the the actual Wi-Fi routers the actual devices themselves that are mounted on the walls or the ceilings of these indoor venues and there will be multiple points of access that are essentially all putting out the same network but it's about using those specific access points to actually triangulate where somebody is within the within an indoor space correct and and, and without having to program the routers which is what some people do Mm, absolutely. Um, when I look again at, at the funding side of things in bringing this, this was um, clearly something that, that, that uh, the Home Office put an, an awful lot of consideration into. They made a million pounds of, of funding available, which was shared between several different suppliers to develop different types of technology. But going back to what I said at the beginning, which is that £250,000 which is you know, just 25% of that total funding was given to you guys, that there was obviously something that you, you must have been doing right when it came to the pre uh, presentation side of this. Um, how difficult a task uh, was it actually in order to present the technology and, and how long was the process before you were actually told you got this funding? Uh, to be fair to uh, Dasso, who ran the project for the Home Office, which is the Defence and Security Accelerator, they made the process very, very slick, um, to be honest. And it wasn't a massive undertaking. It was a significant proposal that we had to write, obviously. And we had to bring together a really um, cross-sectional team. So an ex-police inspector who's created university courses on crowd management, for example. Mm -hmm. um, we had a, a, a crowd um, social scientist, a behaviorist uh, on the team. Um, we had a, a postdoctorate uh, UI UX guy looking at, uh, you know, how do you how do you integrate security in such a way that it doesn't come scary, right? It's, it's an asset, not a problem, right? As soon as you say, oh, we need security, you know, here's a security feature. Oh, is it that scary here? I should have a security feature. What's going on? Perhaps I shouldn't go, right? You've got to avoid those kinds of issues. So you've got to think about behavior. You've got to think about uh, your audience. You've got to think about your user experience design. Um, you ain't got to think about what happens when you start utilizing the platform. So there's an awful lot of that that you have to, so it's quite a, a a powerful team that we had to bring together sure. a very you know clearly specialist people um we also had to have a fundamental background in some key issues that frankly i don't think get addressed at all in the event app sector which is like cyber security um right. you know if these apps are being developed one off um at pricings between a couple of thousand pounds up to uh, you know ten thousand pounds i can tell you you cannot afford to pay a pen tester to test it a penetration tester for those who don't yeah. understand, um, a pen tester to test that for, for that budget. Right? Um, so it's not going to be pen tested. So it's not cyber secure, which is why one of the assets that we brought was one app that was worked exactly the same in every single event. So we had only had to pen test one app and it just works everywhere. So we've got that cyber security built in. Um, and that was really important. Uh, the, Counter-Terror and Security Division of the Ministry of Defense uh, oversaw the projects and, you know, they challenged us on a whole bunch of issues, including counter-terror subversion. So, you know, now that you've created this messaging platform and it's got security there, uh, what are they, you know, could a terrorist use it against you, right? What are you going to do about that? How are you going to mitigate those risks? Um, these are all things that you have to think about um, in when you're you know, developing this kind of, you know, innovative new capability. Because, you know, it's about the balance between risk and reward, benefit and informational value. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, because presumably you've got you've you've got well you've got a platform there that, as you said, is it allows two way communication. You know, the, the the crowd themselves can input their own messages and feed that back to the security team and to the operations staff. The operations staff can also then put messages out to the crowd, which is is an obvious access point if somebody wanted to hack into it, if they wanted to put out a false message or something like that. Correct. Exactly right. Um, so you have to make sure that you're, you're looking at those kinds of possible issues and building in the, the either the, the sort of the, the blockers mm -hmm. uh, or the techniques. Uh, and so part of that's, you know, how cyber secure is the platform in the first place. And part of it is how does the, how do, operationally, how does the platform work? Sure. Um, when it comes to the actual input that is being sourced and, and being put in by the, you know, from the crowd, um, in the best case scenario, you have uh, a big crowd of people at an event who are all contributing and saying, this is a great idea. I'm going to share anything that I see that, that I think is suspicious. Um, there is a danger that you're going to get absolutely bombarded with information. Is that sorted and, and, and monitored manually by a physical team of people? Is there an, a, an algorithm that will actually look through it? And, and is there, you know, is there a software platform that will analyze it? How is that analysis actually conducted? Okay. So there's sort of, uh, that is a key question that was raised, you know, mostly by the security organizations, because, you know, from their point of view, it, this is an innovation. And the first thing, yeah, they're, they're a very conservative lot, <laughs> frankly. And so, the, you know, the first thing they look at is what are, the, what are the new risks? What are the additional risks? And this is one that comes up. In fact, literally, I had that conversation with uh, a crowd security specialist just this morning. Um, who was looking at our platform and saying, you know, how does this help me? And by the way, I'm a bit resistant because of it, exactly the question you, you raised. So, so the answer to that is that, uh, you know, different types of issues can be prioritized in the first place. Um, the way in which they're reported can be prioritized and grouped. Um, it's pretty clear that if they're coming from the same location within the venue, that you're looking at the same kind of issue. Mm -hmm. so you, can, you can group them very, very quickly. Uh, you need to uh, you know, assign and respond to them in a very simple, you know, couple of clicks and none done um, so that you know what the status of those things are. But you can also look at other things as well. So you can look at how trustworthy are the individual users and, and can you build up a knowledge base of whether or not, you know, this is somebody who has uh, regularly been ignored by other users, for example, Mm -hmm. um, because they're posting messages that just upset people or annoy them. So they're possibly, you know, uh, one of the cry wolf types, you know, are they a cry wolf type? So you can start looking at that kind of thing. Um, I think algorithmically, that's a, that's a future phase because I think it will take many live deployments and many real world use cases for us to understand how to build automated algorithms to, you know, do what a human would otherwise have to do. Mm -hmm. So the first phase is filtering, uh, filtering tools, prioritization tools. Um, but it's also about making sure that people in the, in the UI design understand that clicking the buttons a serious issue. Yeah. And so that's part of the user interface so that, you know, they don't feel like they should just be tapping this thing for fun. Right. It's about realizing. And if they do, by the way, they can be very quickly ignored by the security team. Right. You know, just chop that channel off. Mm -hmm. and, and remove their, their data from the, from the feed. So it's not um, that sort of thing. These are the sorts of tools that you need to build in. And, and we did a lot. I think we probably interviewed over 150 different security organizations and teams over the last year, uh, understanding their issues. And, and mostly their concerns are about control. 
you know, sure. this, this is a thing that they don't have control of. And so what we had to do was make sure they did have control. So in the same way that a security team might physically eject somebody from a crowd if they're, you know, causing problems, you would want to, you know, digitally eject them from the crowd with a K if they're causing problems. Right? So they have that capacity, right? Indeed. Um, you can, uh, what else would they want to do? They want to be able to pick up on content that uh, it could be either informationally important or could be a flag to them of somebody acting in an inappropriate fashion and trying to, you know, cause a panic or something like that, right? So, and you might want to say that certain words in a particular venue are blocked and censored by design, right? So you need that kind of capability as well. And that needs to be by venue or even by event or even by the hour sometimes. Um, because, for example, Allah Akbar in a mosque, probably being said every other, you know, sentence. Yes. Allah Akbar in a football stadium might be a cause for at least to take a good look at who's saying it and what, 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 the, what they're talking about. Mm. And it's yeah. all about context, isn't it? You know, the, 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 exactly. the, 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 the right context at the right time and potentially the wrong context at the wrong time and what, what looks out of place and what is out of place given the context of an event. Exactly. So, so this is what we're really trying to do here is build a new set of informational feeds that, that add um, contextually to the informational picture that the security team is responding to. And uh, the idea will be is that over time, we'll get cleverer and cleverer about being able to automatically pick up and say, this sequence of events is a lead up to this kind of event, right? Mm -hmm. You know? Is the, um, this, this seems like an obvious question, but I'm sure one that people are screaming down their, their phones at me as they're listening to today's podcast. Um, and that, that relates to what connection is needed by the actual audience using it. Because anybody who's been to a major indoor venue will know that, you know, you go into a big concrete and steel structure and your 4G enabled smart device quickly becomes a, an expensive paperweight. Um, you know, okay, yes, a lot of places have got Wi-Fi networks now, but similarly, you put 15,000 people on that network all trying to post on Facebook or go live on Twitter, it quickly falls down. What, what connections actually needed for this to become reliable and be used by the whole crowd? So we, we, we use Wi-Fi for two things. Um, we use Wi-Fi to check in to say, this is the crowd with a K instance that I'm in, mm -hmm. right? um, because basically you're saying I'm here. Therefore, I'm in this crowd, not that crowd over there. That's a different building. Right. Um, and as we discussed earlier, if we don't do any venue, we don't do tracking of people around venues. That's very much anti-GDPR. And we're very privacy centric in the way we built our platform. We were the very first event app in the world to be GDPR ready because we designed it that way before the GDPR even became law, let alone when it was enforced two years later, which is when most people started to panic. Um, but so the, the key issue is that what you have to understand is this is an app that we always know will be used in a crowded location. So the way we built it um, is frankly very, very lightweight. I mean, the whole app is seven and a half megs. Right. Right. It's very, very lightweight. And my whole history, uh, my background is I spent 30 years in the real-time control marketplace. And I know that basically, you know, making things work efficiently is about figuring out the smallest amount of data you can transmit for the smallest amount of time um, and store for the, you know, the least amount of time. Yeah. Because if you build your platform that way, you're putting the least load on the infrastructure. And we always assume a poor infrastructure. Okay. So if our app won't work, nothing works. I can pretty much guarantee you that. 
Um, and if nothing works well, then the infrastructure, then, you know, then nothing works. What can I say? I mean, if you don't have a digital infrastructure at all that works, mm -hmm. we can't work. Sure. Now, we um, do have some innovation ideas about what to do in a right of bang situation, as we call it. So this is what we call a left of bang solution. This is about prevention, not cure. Yeah. Um, but of course, the first thing that happens when somebody taps that button, um, sorry, when, when a, sorry, when a bomb goes off is, mm -hmm. of course, that... Uh, uh, or somebody with a rifle or a shotgun or whatever it might be, is that, you know, the panic goes and everybody's on their phones and immediately your digital infrastructure falls to pieces. Yeah. We believe there are ways around that in the way in which we've architected our platform. And we're, we've already made proposals to the Home Office on, on how we could advance those kind of ideas. Sure. So we're always thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, going back to, to, to what I introduced at the start of, of today's episode, which was this this... Uh, significant funding that that you were able to um yeah. to I, I say qualify for but uh, you know receive um did it help accelerate what was already in motion did it allow you to expand the idea that you already had for this app what what did it actually manifest itself out in physical terms when when you were allowed to when you were awarded this funding um so I don't think we were. We, I don't think we would have built the security extensions that we have if it wasn't for this funding. Mm -hmm. um, we were aware of the issue, but we didn't really know what the solution should look like. What was very interesting is that before they put the the call for bids in out um, for the ICR program, the Improving Cloud Resilience, they did a lot of work with all the you know security and crowd specialists around the UK, and they came up with just three themes. And they said, if we can innovate in one or more of these three themes, we will make crowded places safer. And the three themes were um, uh, allowing the, the crowd to uh, send in alerts and issues and concerns. The second one was crowd education. And the third one was to do with analytic, analytics on video, uh, CCTV feeds on assessing crowd mood based upon their aggregate movement. So oh, there's a whole bunch of people suddenly moving like this, you know, does that mean there's somebody with a gun? Sure, yeah. Right. Um, something like that. And we basically bid against the first two. And the key about it was to sort of say, look, there's a way, we'd already had the foundation with the crowd app. Yeah. So we were able to say, look, we can put that whole 250K to work solely on the security thing. We don't have to build anything new. We've already got the baseline platform. What we just need to do is add this additional capability on top. Um, so from our point of view, it enabled us to, to go into that sector in a, and probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Absolutely. Um, uh, another, another question that I'm, I'm sure um, event organizers may be sort of shouting down their headphones at me as they're listening to, to today's episode is um, relates to what you said about it's, a, it's a, an event app. Um, does this mean that an event organizer who wants to deploy it and work with you guys can brand your app up as their own event app or is it always the crowd um and can they integrate their own content and things into your app so that they only need that one platform for people to access so the the base app which is free the crowd app you can use it at any event and you can use it now for free right so that's clearly our brand Mm -hmm. um, but it's also very clear that the majority of event and ven and in fact venue owners, because this is as much a venue app as it is a, uh, an event. Of course, app, of course. Um, they want to be able to brand it. So the question is, how do you find that fine balance between the the individuals' demands to have an app that they're familiar with use wherever they go, 
and yet at the same time provide the brand overlay that the individual venues want to have because they want to take they want to position it as their their crowd app in their venue or their crowd app at their event yes um so yes you can um overlay your your branding into the app that's part of the way in which we built it so that's a dynamic extension these are the things that we charge for by the way so yeah as soon as you want that kind of functionality you can charge for it the second thing of course is all this content stuff now What's really interesting to us was that in the content delivery side of, of event apps is that a huge amount of time is wasted, frankly, creating apps that deliver content that's pretty much the same as you've got on your website. Yeah. And we just looked at that and what this is bonkers. The best content delivery tool in the world is a browser. Why the hell are people redoing their work? And, and worse than that, from the event organizer's point of view, they meant they have to deal with an, another development process. Uh, they have to provide input into that. And then they have to maintain two sets of data almost for today's schedule, for example. And that's just bonkers. So we looked at that and went, hang on a minute. Why don't we just render straight into the app the event content that's relevant that we know every event is going to have? So, for example, you know, the schedule for the day, um, the event plan, um, the event map, that kind of stuff which would be on your website because it's a subset of the website that promoted the event in the first place. But on the day, there's only three or four pages on the website people want to use. They want yeah. to look up the speakers. They want to know when the next meeting is. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Right? See a floor plan. They're, 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 they're the most obvious ones. They're the, they're the simple stuff. And they're on the website anyway. So why don't we render them straight into the app? And that's what, we've, what, that's what we allow them to do. So literally extending our platform in those why in those ways is no harder than setting up a url absolutely well i i'm i suppose that the, 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 one of the biggest questions to ask is is how do we think the users themselves the people in the crowd are going to take to this you you mentioned briefly about not wanting you don't want to scare people off you don't want to publicize this in such a way that audiences then think well hold on if this venue or this organizer is using this app does that mean that they think it's unsafe um how are you working with clients with venues with organizers on strategies to actually be able to communicate this as something that people should be using and interacting with and and, and letting them know that this is for their own safety and protection rather than potentially scaring them away so so first of all, I, I want to re-emphasize the crowd app is what the individual will see. The only difference between the standard free crowd app and the extended version for crowd safe is a little red button, mm -hmm. which appears in the app dynamically because now there is a security team that will respond to the alerts that you raise by tapping that little red button. Right. And so, and that was very deliberate design. It was very carefully constructed to say, look, you know, the app is about the event or the venue and the engagement within that context. But when you need it, there's this button, right? And there's something you want to report and it's there. Right. And better than that, once you've tapped it, you've opened up a one-to-one -one communication channel with the security team. So you're now, you didn't even have to leave your seat to, you know, express your concern about something. And they're welcoming all that concern because it builds a narrative. It builds a picture on what's happening in the venue. So, so I think the answer to your question is, is, is about primarily about the user interface design is about not making the safety issue the issue. Sure. Right. Yeah. 
But then what you do is within the app is that, you know, you can schedule content to go into the crowd feed, which is a bit like a Twitter feed or a group chat. Um, but it can come from somebody who is highlighted as obviously being of authority, um, obviously having a different status to everybody else that's there. And, you know, it's fairly clear from their profile definition that they are, you know, they're stamped with a different type of uh, indicator that shows, oh, they're not a standard member of the crowd. They're, they've got this shield, that, you know, oh, they're a security person, right? So it's all intuitive that this message is coming from somebody from authority that, uh, that is telling you something worth knowing, right? Like, if you see a bag, tell us, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. Um, or see it, say it's sorted, as you see in the uh, train stations. Except the interesting thing I did over the uh, course of the last year and a bit was I asked all of these security organizers and uh, managers, you know, oh, see it, say it's sorted. You're familiar with that campaign? They went, oh, yeah, yeah, of course we are. So I said, what's the text number? Not a single one of them knew <laughs> the text number. I said, so how many members of the public do you think actually remember the text number? You know, so yeah. the see it, say it sorted thing is it's a hostile, it's a, it's a messaging thing for the uh, terrorists. But in reality, the number of people reporting and, um, and participating is relatively low. If we can make that reporting so ridiculously simple and intuitive, tap a red button, select the issue, I'm done, yeah. you know. <laughs> Why wouldn't I do that? And in practice, to sort of, I guess, surmise everything that we've been talking about today, if I've understood it correctly, the intention is that people, you know, consumers, you, I, everybody else will have the crowd app on their phone. And if they go to an event, they instinctively tap on the app and they will straight away see whether or not that event or that venue is an active user of the crowd and whether or not if they did want to report anything they can do so um but that app becomes you know single functionality whenever they go to any type of event sporting music otherwise correct that, that's our that's our strategic intention i mean we're, we're probably a year or two away from that sort of ubiquitousness i would suggest but hmm. uh, so we're certainly pushing to market on a, a you know venue by venue basis or event by event basis at this point in time um, but, you know, largely that's because we're at the relatively early stages for you know, delivering against the value that we think exists. And we actually think that there is an opportunity for one app for any venue and any event. And uh, that's what we've built. And it's about layering in the functionality that these venues and uh, um, events want. And so, for example, in the venue space, we took the same alerting function for the facilities managers and we said, well, okay, you know, your concern is about cleanliness and repair. Why don't we create a, a tell management as a part, instead of report something, a, a tell management, the, the toilets are blocked. Mm. Right? Tell management, the floor's dirty, right? And make it so easy that anybody in a venue can do that. Um, and because what was interesting, one of the things we discovered on several exit polls from several major stadia was that people walk away, frankly, pretty unhappy. Yeah. But they never bothered to tell anybody. So they tell or accept all their mates. Right? It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I went down to the XYZ stadium the other day and you know what? The toilets were blocked and it was smelly and oh, it was disgusting down there. I can't believe it. But they don't bother to tell the venue, right? Yeah. But if you make it ridiculously easy to tell the venue, 
I don't know, you might just tell the venue. <laughs> so, and, and, and I think that the, the, the sort of the answer or the response to that for most people, and certainly, you know, I speak from experience, I've been in a fair few football stadiums and have left disgruntled with one thing or another, is that you think, well, what's the point? Because there's no point rep- reporting it to the steward that's there or, exactly. or, or the guy selling the pies over the counter that they were clapped cold because really, who's going to do anything about it? Is it actually going to be fed up to management level? What impact will it have and by the time you've gone through the rigmarole it's just not worth even bothering to report an operational issue that that, that you see because nothing will be done about it how but like you said if you have the ability where you've got something that you know is ubiquitous to communicating with management level at any given event or venue um at that point then people will maybe start to take note a little bit and think well actually yes it is worthwhile popping it on here because if enough of us do it it's easy to do so somebody will take notice Exactly, exactly. We've been, uh, we've been talking on the podcast today to Jeff Revel. Jeff is the MD and the co-founder of CrowdThink. Um, the Devon-based suppliers uh, have launched uh, an app that allows people in crowded places to speak directly with on-site security teams, allowing visitors to report suspicious activity or potential threats in real time using their mobile devices. Um, the app received funding from the Home Office of uh, almost £250,000. And uh, if you want to read more about it, head over to gov.uk and tap in the crowd crowd of the k and i'm sure you'll be able to find that particular article and read up uh, read up about it um jeff if any of our podcast listeners want to get in touch directly with you uh, what's your own website if they want to find out a bit more uh very simple uh crowd.app so k-r-o-w-d dot app Fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, head over, do, do a little bit looking at this. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people listening to today's podcast who will have uh, taken significant interest in this. This, is, this looks like something that's a real sort of genuine development uh, in, the, in the app market from a safety point of view. And um, I'm sure we're going to keep uh, in touch with Jeff and find out a little bit more about it as we, uh, as we progress down the line and as things develop. Um, Jeff, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Appreciate your if time. You- no problem at all. If you're watching the video of this podcast on eventindustrynews.com, don't forget you can click around and have a look at some of the latest features, the latest news and supplements that have been generated. Also, head over to your favorite podcast platform and you can download and access audio-only versions of all the previous episodes of the podcast and have a little listen to them on your commute to and from work. If you are a listener to the audio-only versions, hop over to eventindustrynews.com and uh, have a little look at what's on there as well. But that brings us nicely to the end of today's episode uh well thanks once again to jeff revel from crowdthink for joining us today my name is james dixon and we'll see you on the next episode of the podcast thanks very much everybody goodbye mm-hmm.